You're listening to Unique Leaders Podcast. I'm Megan DiMartino. Success is in the story. Each week, I'll be speaking with a unique leader, not only in their field, but in their lives. Join us for a glimpse of their passion and talents. There's always a surprise in their story. Be the first to hear. Hello, 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 and welcome to Unique Leaders Live. I'm Megan DiMartino, and it is Friday, and I am so excited about having you with me today and sharing my guest story, Tim Gillette. Tim is a unique leader if there ever was one. I can't wait for you to hear Tim's story. But before we do that, I just want you to share this out. This is a uh, Unique Leaders is a program that is really about my guest and their story. And you will glean information from uh, Tim and uh, my other guests. So if you are interested, go back to the previous shows on uh, YouTube, Megan Martino, Unique Leaders Live. But you'll glean information about their journey that leads them to today. They say that success uh, leaves uh, secrets. I don't, our secrets are in their success, but I want the whole enchilada for you. I want you to hear that whole story. It's amazing what people share and those surprises that even for myself, knowing some of my guests, not all, but some of them fairly well, that uh, I learned things too. So you will certainly learn things, not only about Tim, but you'll see yourself in their story and say, you know, if Tim can do this, I can do that. And that is what I want for you, to give you hope and infinite possibilities. So share this out on all your platforms, uh, It would an Instagram to Facebook. Uh, we will have it up on YouTube, as I said, and it is a podcast as well. So you'll be able to work out at the gym and listen to Tim Gillette's story. So without further ado, I would like you to meet my dear, dear guest, Tim Gillette. Hey! <laughs> hello, hello, hello. How are you, welcome. man? I am good. I am really great and better right now that you're with me. I, as I shared with you in the green room, I'm really looking forward to this uh, segment and hearing about your story. Mm-hmm. So, as I share with all my guests, Tim, you know, we go back to young Tim, Timmy, maybe, and uh, your. Uh, where you were, you know, born, where you grew up, and, you know, just essentially a little bit about your childhood and and then your journey from there. And we'll just continue on. Cool. Well, I mean, I guess I got some presidential blood into me, I said, because I came from the same town that our current president's from, uh, okay. Scranton, Pennsylvania, okay. was born there, uh, you know what I mean? And and that's where mom and dad grew up. My, my you know, my parents actually, on my mother's side, are like the founding people. Their family history is the founding people to the Poconos, and and that's that's in our history. But uh, me, I never I never stayed there. All right, uh, you know, as soon as I became an adult, I wanted out. Mm-hmm. Um, at at twenty, I moved to Massachusetts and New Hampshire, and then came back. And at thirty, I left and moved to Texas. So. Oh wow! So you've been in Texas since you were thirty. Yeah, uh, I moved I- here uh, in nineteen ninety eight. Uh, Dallas was pretty; uh, it was a growing city. But like, I live the North Dallas edge of Plano, mm-hmm. and like the intersection that I live by 
like nothing that's here now was here when I moved here. Yes. <laughs> I moved to old. Texas also. I think we talked about this before. I'm a Northeast girl too. Mm-hmm. I grew mm-hmm. up on Long Island and uh, came to Texas for a job in 1987. Mm-hmm. So about, mm-hmm. about the same time. And like you said, that North Dallas was nothing. Yeah. It, was, yeah. it was tumbleweed, right? Yeah. I mean, it just wasn't even there. So it's amazing how this... Central Texas corridor, North Texas, Central Texas has grown since then. So you came, but let's, before we go into Texas and, you know, the why of why you're here. Uh, so when you were uh, a kid in Scranton um, and that Pennsylvania Northeast uh, area, um, because you are a, a showman and a creative, did you know that back in the day, Tim? Did you know that that was part of you and what you wanted to do in your life? Uh, actually, no, I was in a shell when I was a kid. Um, I was, you know, I was kind of picked on, bullied, you know, I was a tall, skinny kid and, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, always bullied. I, I, I never believed any system worked. Uh, you know, it was, you know, from the education systems I was in to the things that I was part of uh, because I watched my father get laid off a lot. Uh, I remember the one time in our lives that it would be the, about the mid seventies. My dad had a 75 Ford pickup. I can remember that about this time, mm-hmm. but he, he worked night shift and he never, he never came home till I was asleep. Mm-hmm. And one night I watched him come home, you know, let's say about eight thirty nine o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. And I'm like that, that that's not right. You know? And it was him getting laid off again. And he walked mm-hmm. into the house said, well, I, I, I got laid off again. And uh, there was something in my mind clicked. Mm-hmm. I was not even 10 years old, but in my mind, I went, man, my, this, no company's ever going to do this to me or my family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I will control my own destiny and no job will ever control me. And uh, that I remember that about that date. And from then on, I was a DNF student. So I not, not worse. My being picked on and bullied got worse because oh, wow. now I'm a flunky. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And because I, I just didn't believe the system worked. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, my parents put me in a Christian school that really made my education worse. Oh, I really? mean, it's, it's a great program. It was a great thing for what they did. But mm-hmm. for me, it did the total opposite of what it would do for the average mm-hmm. person mm-hmm. Uh, to which I thought I was a failure. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, yeah. yeah. So and so, yeah, I mean, and that happens so often <laughs> to so many uh, people because it's you grow up. I mean, you learn from what you see, mm-hmm. and um, and it was heartbreaking for you to watch your dad be so dejected and uh, struggle. That was a tough time in the United States in the seventies. I mean, I'm older than you, and uh, so I say to people, the benefit of getting older is you know you have that point of reference and history. Mm-hmm. And um, I you know I remember myself personally. You know that was the oil embargo days, and remember you know being rationed by gasoline Ration and gasoline. Yep, have no no, uh, honestly have no understanding of all of that. So <clears throat> you then finished high school, uh, struggled through and finished high school. And then you said you went to Massachusetts. Why did you go to Massachusetts? What was the, what did you um, so, there for you? Yeah. When I got out of school, I, I, I took a mechanical drafting, like Votech class. So I got mm-hmm. out of school and I was put into a job working for a plastics like injection molding plastics company. Mm-hmm. And it was a good job, but like, uh, 
the you know it was, it was one of those one of those things like it was a division of a big corporation mm-hmm. and the division always looked at me as like that's the failure kid that we don't need mm-hmm. and my the general manager of our actual building loved me and when he when he left to take on a new job he pulled me in his office as the day he gave his notice and says dude you you, you got to find something else cuz the second i'm gone you're gone they're coming in and getting rid of you i'm going to tell you that right now Wow. They don't think this company needs you. They don't understand how valuable you are mm-hmm. and they don't want, and they won't care. Mm-hmm. You're just a number on a spreadsheet to them. So I'm going to tell you right now as a friend, go find another job. Wow. And I found a, a job from there and I went into uh, coffee packaging. You remember the original brick pack coffee? Yes. I worked for the Italian company that brought that technology to America oh, very and cool. it was a good job for about a year. But again, I was stuck into that thing of like stuck into a system. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I didn't fit in with with authority. And, uh, you know, my boss left and moved on. The new boss they brought in didn't like me. And I got let go. And at first I was like all upset about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I had debt. I had bought my, I'd bought my first nice car. Uh, I had debt and I was all worried about it. Uh, but then I said, you know what? I've always wanted to work on cars my whole life. So I left a good paying job, which I got laid off from and went to work for the car dealership, washing the cars on the lot mm-hmm. for like, you know, four bucks an hour, which I think minimum wage was three thirty-five back then. Mm-hmm. And here I'm making four. Uh, and I left the job making 10, you know, mm-hmm. it was like a very, very little job. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it was through that generation of working in cars that I met my first wife and my best friend from high school uh, married a girl or, or got to know a girl from uh, Massachusetts, from Tuxbury, Lowell, Massachusetts area. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they were moving back from Southern Pennsylvania up to there and offered me, you know, they said, listen, you can come up here. There's jobs available up here in Massachusetts. You can stay at our house free of charge. You're a friend. We like you and everything. So I went and tried it and worked up there for two years. I, I, I was able to work for uh, one of the founding um, car dealership families in the New England area, uh, as well as I, I got to work for Midas Muffler for a while. Uh, I worked for another uh, big, like, what do they call it? Like defense contractor, and uh, you know, for a while up there. But I always wanted to be in my own business up there. So Massachusetts was like this thing to go out. Um, and I ended up, I, I went from Lowell to, to someplace in, it was Southern New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when I got laid off from a job up there, uh, I was like, oh my gosh, there was no jobs available. I mean, like it was the economy was starting to go down and everything. Right. And I was like, oh crap, I gotta, I, I gotta do something. So I looked into truck driving school up there and, and that's where I was going to go. Well, I'll go drive truck. That's giving me the freedom I want. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And you did that? Uh, I did it from 1990 to 1992. I moved back to Southern Pennsylvania where I went to truck driving school. I uh, got my first truck driving job. I did leave that job and go work for another company momentarily, but then I came back to that same company. Mm-hmm. And in 1992, I was on a loading dock and got hit in the head and ended up with a seizure disorder oh, that God. basically said, we need to take your commercial driver's license. You could no longer drive truck. Oh, wow. Sharing the different stages there. Uh, and again, replicating, you know, and I'm sure on some level in your spirit, what had happened to your dad uh, with his job structure, mm-hmm. um, you know, very uh, dispiriting. Yeah, and yeah. here you finally found something that was going to take you on the road, so to speak, and uh, independence. And wow, 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 wow. So 
But I mean, through that losing the job within six months of that, a -hmm. gentleman from my church reached out to me and he said, normally he said, I would not reach out to you about this, but I can see there's something in you that wants to be an entrepreneur. So I'm going to run this idea by, and it was a multi-level marketing company. And I joined in and that's, I I, I don't want to ever discredit people who do multi-level or network marketing, whatever you may call it, because I got an edu, I got a business education. Exactly. It gave me four years of business education that you can't get in a college today. Absolutely not. You know, hundred percent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and that's where I learned to finally be a business owner and an entrepreneur. You know, mm-hmm. that's where, where, where my life started to turn. Now I would spend years going back and forth in jobs before I, I found successful systems to permanently get me out of a job. But still, mm-hmm. I mean, that's mm-hmm. where I became, I, I tell people I originally became an entrepreneur and then my dad got laid off. It took me years to get the education to be able to actually act on it. (laughs) Right. You know, there are many people that I'm sure you've interviewed, but we'll get there. But also that you know in your life that that is the foundation, that they have built their their foundations of their livelihood and their careers. And like Mm -hmm. you said, learned a structure of, uh, you know, uh, building that uh, relationship. And because mm-hmm. all communication is about that, yeah. whatever you're doing, whether it's quote unquote sales. So that's yes. Great. Right. And so is that what brought you to Texas when you came? Well, uh, the coming to Texas was a it was a, it was a, a, a Christmas trip that turned into a permanent residency uh, uh, in 1998 in Pennsylvania. My first wife had left me. And, uh, you know, after a year of fighting, I finally said to her, listen, I've wanted to move south and and West my entire life. If you're not going to be married to me, I'm not sticking in your hometown anymore. I'm gone. (laughs) And, you know, and and she did everything she can to try to keep me there, even though she wanted to be married to me anymore. And I said, listen, I said, this is it. I said, I don't care. I, I, I literally didn't even sell. I I kind of sold off the assets for my business, but I didn't really sell my business. I sold the assets from the business off Mm -hmm. and I I walked away and I said, Mm -hmm. that's it. I'm leaving. I left with a car, a bunch of tools, and I was headed to uh, to just north of San Francisco, a town called I can't it's, uh, I can't think of it. It's a town north of San Francisco to work for a car wash company and, and manage their car wash systems. Uh, and I came to Dallas, Texas, to visit my brother on my way for Christmas. I stopped here to visit him. He lived here and had lived here for almost seven or eight years at that point. Mm-hmm. I liked the town, and I stopped and. Uh, I liked Dallas enough that I said, that's it. I called up and said, I am not coming for the job. Give it to somebody else. I'm going to find a way here to make it in Dallas, Texas. Mm-hmm. That's, and I, I, like, I didn't have a career when I got here. I'm like, okay, what do you got? I mean. <laughs> yeah, but it was, you know, Texas is an interesting state. I came for a job, mm-hmm. but I always loved coming to Texas. You know, this New York girl, um, when I it was in sales, I worked for large companies in national sales and marketing, and um, always loved coming to Texas because it had that wild west kind of uh, yeah that over the horizon kind of feel. And I very much uh, took the job not only for the job's sake, which was factual, but also because I wanted to come to Texas, you know, and have that that experience. So I think that was a good good turning point, so to speak, for you. So you stayed. And uh, so then what evolved? So I got here in 98. I worked the first job I worked. I didn't last three days. It was working for a body shop. And I worked body shops back east. But I worked what was called restoration type body work. Mm -hmm. So I'm used to taking 
like Land Rovers and Jaguars. I'm used right. to taking them apart, painting all the pieces, and then putting it all back together. Mm-hmm. And I literally could almost I, – in a late 90s Jaguar, I could probably take the doors apart with my with a blindfold on till this day wow. and still take them apart and put them back together. I got so good at the concept of, of work, working that. Here in Dallas, 90% of the body shops here are what they're called production body shops. Mm-hmm. So they're working on car wrecks for insurance companies, and the whole concept is built like an assembly line. Mm-hmm. It's not built in the restoration file. It's built in an assembly line. So one person does one thing, one next person does another, and I had to paint, you know what I mean? And I got here, and I just was so slow at doing it because of the, the process that I've always worked on. Now, the guy who I worked with for three days, who was the painter, I was his assistant, he said, listen, I've never been a guy who's more meticulous about doing his job than you. You know how to do this job. You're just not fast enough at doing it. Mm-hmm. And I need somebody who's fast because this is production. I only make money if we produce a certain number of cars a week mm-hmm. and you just aren't fast enough to keep and help me make that money. I'm like, okay. So, I mean, I left and then uh, I worked for in the home theater companies and I, I would work for two home theater companies while I was here. One doing mm-hmm. deliveries, mm-hmm. Uh, which was very unique because I got to uh, tour uh, Dallas, shall we say, celebrities' homes, mm-hmm. not knowing who they were. Uh, mm-hmm. I was in a Dallas, one of the Dallas Cowboys at the time, in his home, setting up his home theater. And I look around, and I go, man, you must be a big Cowboys fan, huh? And he goes, I play for him. <laughs> um, and I, I didn't know he was. I wasn't an, I'm not a Cowboys fan. If anything, in NFL, I'm like an Eagles fan and barely if that, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm not really into the football. Mm-hmm. But he was so nice to me because I didn't know who he was. And then I connected to uh, the weirdest thing was I bumped into Troy Aikman. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I knew his face because he was the, of the most popular of him at the time. Right. And I'm like, oh, hi, Mr. Aikman. Uh, you know, and I, I most people are like, oh, I'm, Mr. Aikman, can I get signed this? I was like, hi, Mr. Aikman, how you doing? And I just turned, kept him walking. And because of that, I ended up eventually washing his car, serving him coffee at Starbucks. And he wasn't a big deal to me because, again, I wasn't a Cowboys fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I spent that. Uh, about a year working for the home theater company. And just one day I'd had enough. And literally I walked in one morning and I was in charge of running a truck of deliveries and stuff. And I walked in, I walked into my boss, I handed him my phone, my keys and everything. I said, listen, I'm done. And he said, why? I said, just, 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 just isn't for me. I, I've got, listen, I, I can figure out a way to go make this kind of money. Right. I don't need to work here at a job. And he was shocked and he said, okay, no problem. And he said, well, here's something that's up your alley. And he gave me the phone number of the company that did the repairs on their trucks. And he said, go over here and talk to this guy, Dan, because his service manager just got fired. And Dan's looking for a service manager and you probably fit. So I went over there and literally within a matter of days, Dan had hired me and I ran that company for two and a half years uh, of a truck repair shop, Mm -hmm. which was tractor trailer repair, not car repair. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did it for two and a half years. And then I, until I had a seizure, I have epilepsy. So I had a seizure on the job and I was the guy in charge and I have a seizure on the job mm-hmm. and no boss of mine is there. And they, they pull me out in an ambulance to which my boss had to hop on a plane, his plane from Florida, fly here to Texas to, to take over, to be there. And I come back from the hospital and he says, have a seat. Mm-hmm. And I sit down and he says, listen, he says, you have a job with me as long as you want. You're a great worker. I am never going to fire you. And he said, but you can no longer do the job you have because legally you don't have the license to hold the job you have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he Mm -hmm. says, up until now, we've been able to hide that. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Now it's public and we can't hide it anymore. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I'm not cutting your salary, but I'm letting you know, you're basically the parts guy. Mm-hmm. That's it. It's all I can do is I can give you a job, you know, shuffling mm-hmm. parts. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you go from running a company to working side by side with people you used to boss. It's not a good situation. And I didn't like the job anyway. And I basically said to him the next day, I come in and said, Dan, I says, I, I got to tell you, be honest with you, I hate this job. And he said, I know that. <laughs> he says, but do me a favor. Give me two weeks and train your replacement for me. Mm-hmm. And if he says, you do that, he says, I'll, I, you do that for me. Then I'm going to tell you right now that anytime you need a favor, call me. Mm-hmm. All right. And now I haven't talked to Dan in probably eight or nine years. And I, I, I'm not even sure if he's passed because, I mean, he was in his late 60s when I worked together mm-hmm. when, in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, but for years, anytime I needed a favor, I'd call Dan. And Dan would go, yeah, go call this guy. Go see this guy. All right. And, right. and tell him Dan, Dan sent you. Mm-hmm. And I literally got more deals because of the fact that I did that. But uh, I just walked away and I didn't know what I was going to do. And a friend of mine had another home theater company it was started. I helped him start it up. Mm-hmm. And after 90 days left, it was just, I'm, I'm here to help you get organized and start up. And then I'm gone because I don't know this industry. I don't want to, I don't want to try to learn a new industry. So uh, that, you, that was the last job. Go on, before you yeah. go on, I just want to, for our guests, I want to share something because I'm listening to you. Tim, and I'm listening to uh, just that perseverance and that, uh, but also a happy heart, that mm-hmm. positiveness versus, I mean, you've shared things that I am sure that they're in between the lines. There is a lot of uh, heartbreak and wringing your hands and what next and that type of thing, especially the um, injury that you sustained um, that, you know, it residually is on some level with you, mm-hmm. but but you, from what I have seen of you and your uh, where you are today, I mean, we're going to continue on. But I just want our guests, our listeners to hear this because so many people today are at a place that uh, they're either have lost their job, their companies have downsized and or what you just said in two, uh, you know, uh, like you said to Dan, I hate this job, but that was because of what happened. Mm-hmm. You probably enjoyed your job prior to that, but also the, the uh, theater, home theater uh, a company that you helped your friend set up because of your previous experience. Mm-hmm. So you've pulled all of, I mean, you're a mechanic, you're a, you know, a extraordinaire. I'm sure you could, like you said about the Jaguar, um, you know, do it blindfolded, but you have taken all of this adversity and used it to your benefit, but yes. to others' benefit as well. Mm-hmm. But you continue to learn and glean from this. I used that word earlier in my introduction. Little did I know your story, really. I didn't. Yeah, yeah. And so you've truly gleaned this information again and again and again. And um, and at this point in your life, you were not doing those things, but you could certainly do them because you have that background and you'll always have it in your back pocket. Yeah. So there's always hope and infinite possibilities. You just can't stop. So yeah. keep going. So, yeah, well, well, when, well, when I left the company of starting this startup, it would be 2000 or, or yeah, 2002, mm-hmm. but just, just after 9-11. It was like right, right after 9-11 that we started that company. And he's actually still in business. And the whole, that guy whose company I started, they actually did the home theater work in my home that I'm in right now. I, that's how, I mean, I've been friends with him that long. Um, mm-hmm. He was the first person I met in the city of Dallas when I moved here. And I'm still friends with him till this day. Uh, but I left there and 
I was still trying to figure out what I was going to do. And, uh, you know, I mean, I had this routine. My brother and I would get up and we would meet in the morning at a certain Starbucks here in North Plano. And there was a group of other business guys that met there. They're all business owners or salesmen of some sort. And we kind of, it was the start to our day. And even though at the time I'm unemployed, I still got up and I still made the 830 meeting with the guys. And it was there that one of the gentlemen who came in was a deacon to Preston Woodbass at Preston Wood Baptist Church. Mm-hmm. And he was a regular person. He was a home builder. Uh, a friend of my brother knew. And I, I, I just said, hey, man, I, I, let me get some wisdom from you. He said, sure, man. I said, bought him a cup of coffee and breakfast one day and just, you know, picked his brain and he picked mine and gave me some advice. He says, you've been in the car industry. He says, you know, you've had car washes. Dallas is a ripe area for car washes. Why don't you start with another mobile car wash here and see where it goes? So we started it in May of 2002. I remember I started this car wash from the back of my 1987 GMC pickup truck and uh, would and would build it up. I actually, because of the fact that I was starting it, I reached out to contacts I had on the wet, on the East Coast. And one of the contacts I had was I worked in on my East, East Coast body shops with a liquid that would help polishing cars out uh-huh. in Texas that was designed for body shops. And I helped them build their brand up the East Coast because I learned how to use their product. And then I would teach others how to use their product as well as our companies used it. Well, I reached out to them and said, hey, I'm in Dallas, Texas. I'm looking for a connection. Who's your distributor out here? To which they sent the local regional salesman up said he called me up and he goes, hey, I, I got to have breakfast with you. Come meet me at such and such place. Okay. So I have breakfast with this guy. I have no idea who he is. He says, where's your truck? I said, over there. Why? They gave me probably close to $5,000 worth of products to start my company. Well. And he said, I was told by the headquarters in Baltimore, Maryland to take care of you. Here is $5,000 worth of samples for you to use. Wow. He says, this helps you get started out. He says, you know, we'll put you up on the line of credit with a local store. But in the meantime, this gets you started. And I'm like, why? He says, this is a thank you from that company, from that company that started that you did. He says, you, you have no idea how much, how important you were to their business. And I didn't. I just, wow. I just, I learned something. I go help people. That's what I learned. Wow. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. That company, I would go on to build a mobile car wash. The concept originally was going, you know, to houses, like you see the guy in the van doing cars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I had a customer that I was faithful every Friday. I would, or every Wednesday and Friday, I would go to his house to clean his cars between him and his kids and wife. They had 10 cars. So two days a week, I'm doing cars at their houses. Wow. And he sat down and I remember I used to go on Wednesday nights and they had like the, the teens from church over and we would sit after I was done, we'd sit in his study and talk. And I'm telling you, that was some of the most valuable things because most people would sit to this guy and try to pitch him mm-hmm. on what to do. I didn't. I would just sit and ask questions and listen mm-hmm. to the answer, mm-hmm. ask questions, listen to the answer. I wasn't interested in an investment of money. I want an investment of wisdom and knowledge. Amen. Because this guy was like a millionaire that was brilliant at building hospitals. Mm-hmm. And I just sat and listened to his business experience. Mm-hmm. And it gave me an idea. And I never, I mean, I, I never spawned on the idea to go, but he said that this idea, you know what I mean? You need to go to office towers and just set up for the day. Like, it's a good idea. Uh, and it came to fruition because I basically was walking through, just passing out cards into businesses and trying to find. And someone picked up my card that was an IT company. Mm-hmm. like an IT consulting company. 
and they said, we would like to hire you to clean our employees' cars, but we do this as a benefit. After five years of service with our company, we're going to pay to wash that car for the employee once a month, and we're going to pay you to do it. So it was a great contract. I, I mean, I tied into a six-year contract worth like $90,000 right there. And I'm like, oh, cool. Well, they moved from one office tower to another within two months of starting this. And then a new office tower they moved into, I walked in and walked into the management office and said, listen, uh, I always like to be honest. I've got the insurances. Here's my stuff for, I'm washing cars in your property. Are you okay with that? And the lady says in the management office, can you do that for our other tenants too? Oh my God. And like in my mind, I'm going, this guy just told me to do this. And the door opened. Um, we, we built it within 2002 to 2004. We had five trucks going, uh, well over, I think 25 employees, uh, five subcontractors. And with those five trucks, we had the contract that no one else could wash cars at the office towers, like 90% of the office buildings that are in Addison, Texas. Oh my. We had a control of it. And I don't like to brag numbers and I don't like to say, I, when I tell you this number, I'm going to say first, I got to give the disclaimer. I can't guarantee that I can help you make this much money right. doing car washes. Right. But our best month, we made $268,000. Mm-hmm. Wow. Now, I know car washes in the Dallas area that don't make that much a month. Oh, I'm sure not. No. And they have a building that's worth a million dollars. And that's what we were making. But again, I burnt myself out. Yes, yes. I could see that as you were telling this story. But before you go on again, you know, you shared when you uh, did the um, gentleman who built hospitals and you said he just shared this. But, you know, it's about seed time harvest, like you said. It's about helping people, you know, yeah. without having an ulterior motive, meaning you just were a positive person bringing that to people. So yeah. um, it was your time to have that seed time harvest. But when you shared that about the two office buildings before you went on about how you expanded it, you know, with yeah. multi trucks and so forth, I said to myself, wow, that is a lot of labor. That's a hard, hard. Yeah. You know, and, and one of the things that I've learned, Megan, when I did that mm-hmm. is I'm not going to tell everybody. First of all, I never tell anybody how much money I'm worth. I, I will not. I have people ask me all the time, are you a millionaire? I'm like, I'm not going to tell you. I just, I'm not. I'm not going to tell you. But I learned millionaire techniques. Mm-hmm. And here's millionaire technique. I had 25 employees, five subcontractors working for me. Mm-hmm. Most of those employees were day laborers. Mm-hmm. And those day laborers came back to work for me on a permanent basis because I was paying them $100 a day plus their lunch. Mm-hmm. Whereas most people, most of them were trying to get 50 bucks for the day mm-hmm. to feed their family. Mm-hmm. And I actually re- reward the people who worked for me. I gave bonuses to the, to, to the truck manager. All right. If they can increase the, you know, the truck. Right. So yeah, I made all that money. All right. But I was paying it out in bonuses, my leases up between my equipment and my trucks. It's like, you know what I mean? When you look at a business mm-hmm. and you say, well, you made all that money. Yeah. But when, I got rid of those five trucks. I also got rid of like five million dollars in debt. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, it's yeah. called the net net after yeah, the growth. Yeah. Yes. It happens, but I mean, we built it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you, you know, what I mean, I burnt out building it up in two years like that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, a gentleman came in two thousand four, August two thousand four, and offered to buy it from me. Oh, and ninety percent of my friends at the time had no idea the size company I had. 
Mm-hmm. Till this day, most of them still think I was the broke little guy running around in my own little tiny pickup truck because I, mm-hmm. I I didn't have a fancy car. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a little pickup truck and that's all I would be seen in. It wasn't until, oh, it was just before I sold out, I bought a, 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 a Porsche. Cause I thought I had to have a fancy car and I hated it. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't own that car less than four months. I got rid of it. Cause it was a pain to crawl in and out as a time. Yeah, you're a tall guy. So yeah. those kind of cars are yeah. ridiculous. It just, just wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. And I always swore I'd never own another exotic car. Cause I really didn't care. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there was something during that period of time. Number one, I connected to some very, very influential people in Dallas while I was mm-hmm. doing that. Mm-hmm. My best friend was one of them. My best friend was his name. His name was Richie. Um, Richie was in the packaging industry. And if you bought it, so you know who Richie was in 1998 to 2003, if you bought it, a, um, what was it? Nokia phone anywhere in the world, you bought it in my friend Richie's box. Oh, wow. He had, he, I mean, he was great in packaging. Mm-hmm. We also had a uh, palm tree business, which, uh, where I, from where I live, there's still uh, three dozen palm trees that I drive by that I helped put in working for him, you know, as a part-time gig. Mm-hmm. It was one of my best friends. And in June of 2003, he went on his one-year wedding anniversary with his wife. They went to Cancun, Mexico, and he came back in a box. Oh. He was 34 years of age. Oh. And he was my best friend. He's one of the most brilliant marketing people I'd ever known, mm-hmm. ever seen. And he was from Boston, Massachusetts. So he moved down here as well from, you know, mm-hmm. and his older brother is still a great friend of mine. His older brother lives still here in Dallas. He's part of that group of guys that we used to meet at the Starbucks. All right. That's and, wealth. You know, that's true wealth. Having yeah. that. And, and, you know, when I talk to people about this is, as mm-hmm. I explain this, because here's the knowledge I got from that. Mm-hmm. I say I'd never owned another exotic car in my life. Richie bought a month before he died. He bought his 360 Modena Ferrari. Oh my. He drove it four times. Mm-hmm. He never drove that car over 40 miles an hour because he was learning it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When his wife came back from Cancun without him, mm-hmm. she had to ask me where the keys were to that car because I knew, but she didn't. Mm-hmm. She had to ask me where the keys were to his Porsche because I knew and she didn't. She wasn't allowed to drive them. Mm-hmm. I brought the keys in a packet. It's like an envelope packet that you brought out for the Ferrari. And it was in a bubble in the garage. And she took the keys out and she said to me, go take it for a drive and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. When I came back, I got some of the best advice in my life from a woman who just married into wealth, really. Mm-hmm. She said, if you ever get the chance to own your dream, don't put it off. Don't put it off. She said, Richie could have afforded that car a year and a half ago. He put it off and 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 he put it off. He finally got it and he never enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In 2011, I would buy a $55,000 Harley Davidson and finance myself to the gills to get it. Mm-hmm. Because number one, I could afford the financing. Number two, it was my dream. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed that bike. So that's one of the reasons. That's a valuable thing I learned in that. Um, I never did buy another exotic car. Mm-hmm. I currently own like a... SUV Mercedes, but like I'm, I'd rather drive a truck or I'd rather have a right. Harley, and that's me. Right, exactly. But I learned what my dreams are mm-hmm. going through that period of time. And in 2004, a gentleman walked up and offered to buy that business from me, and I took it. Mm-hmm. And at the time, everything I'd ever done is always, always I'd, I would leave and end up going back to cars or something. Mm-hmm. 
we put a do not compete clause in the contract of that sale for 10 years. I couldn't work in the auto industry. Okay. I was out for 10 years. That's 2004. So that means till 2014, I'm done. I have to find another way. Mm-hmm. And I took a sales job that I didn't last six months and I got fired because I really was not good at it. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm not good at selling a product. I don't know. I just mm-hmm. stop me. Right. Right. No, um, loving what I, you do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, and in that six months time, I went broke. One of the most turning points in my life was 2005. Like it was like April, May, 2005. Uh, in one week's time, the job that I had, I was fired from, which took my car. Mm-hmm. The apartment I was living in caught fire and burnt. <laughs> I had $40 in my bank account and the girl I was dating dumped me. Nowhere to live, no job, no money. And again, six months earlier, I had money coming out my ears. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What a way to actually crash land. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I've got to find another way. Mm-hmm. And I sat, I mean, I sat 2004, 2005 with, with, a, with someone who was a customer of mine. When I used to wash his personal car and I said, just offhand, I'm out of the car wash industry. Or I'm out of the car industry for 10 years. I don't know what I'm going to do. Mm. And this gentleman in his wisdom said, you know, I went to church with him. He says, Tim, I've seen you get up in front of people. And he says, I think you should be a speaker mm-hmm. and a coach. And I looked at him and I said, well, first of all, what's a coach? Mm-hmm. Uh, like football coach at church? What do you mean? And he explained to me, he says, Tim, all those people in the, in the mobile car wash industry, you notice that when you go by, you're giving them advice. You're trying to tell them how to be more profitable, how to save time. He says, people pay for that kind of wisdom. That's a coach. Mm-hmm. Now, most people would sit and look at this guy across the table and go, well, who are you to tell me I should be a speaker? The man on the other side of that table was Zig Ziglar. I knew you were going to say this. Yeah. I thought it was the guy with the uh, 10 cars, but I knew that wasn't. It was Zig Ziglar. Yeah. Yes. Wow. I didn't know Zig Ziglar, the speaker, ladies and gentlemen. I knew Zig Ziglar, the person. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you, it's one of the reasons why I love Cindy. I love Julie and I love Tom because I knew their dad in a way that most people don't. Mm-hmm. Kind of like they do. I knew him as a friend, not as a superstar. Mm-hmm. And I've been very fortunate in my life to know some superstars mm-hmm. on their personal level. I don't care if you've dunked a million basketballs. Don't care if you've been across a ton of movies. One of the things I learned when I sit across the table from you and I look you in the eyes, are you a human? Yes. And that's what Zig Ziglar gave me that advice. And while most people would go, yeah, that's a great thing. Wow. Oh, wow. You ran with that, right? No, I didn't believe him. I looked at him and I went, Me? I didn't believe him. Mm-hmm. I took six years to actually come up with the gumption to believe that a man who was the top person in the industry tells Absolutely. you, Absolutely. all right, now I, I didn't vote for this guy, but I give this one as an example. Having Zig Ziglar tell you to be a speaker is like having Bill Clinton tell you to run for office. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. let's face it. Mm-hmm. If you go back and look at his history, right. the guy was pretty good at running for office and getting a job. Right. And having Zig Ziglar tell you that, that's kind of some advice you need to listen to, but I didn't believe it for six years. And I went to work as a barista at Starbucks. Now, truthfully, Megan, in all my jobs over the years, the job that I enjoyed the most was being a barista at Starbucks. 
I could see that. I could see that honestly because it was, but it it prepared you for the stage. It did. It did. Yeah. Yeah. It prepared me to to learn customer service. I'll tell you that. Yes. You you, you know, in in our modern day world, and I know right now, guys, if you know what I mean, if you think you've got nothing, Starbucks is hiring. My Starbucks manager, I talk to him every day, and he's like, I wish I could just get two people to apply right now. Wow. I'm going to tell you right now, you want to learn something in life. Forget about like, oh, I, I need so much money. Go spend a year working at a Starbucks. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you right now, you are not, not you're, yeah, you learn how to make coffee. Yeah, you learn all the drinks. Yeah, you'll get some great stuff. But you will learn customer service skills of talking to people. And if you don't, you won't last at Starbucks. No. And I tell people that all the time. I, I, and we actually, when I get into like the, I, I would only go as far in that company as a shift manager. I refused assistant manager. I refused going to be a store manager. I didn't want it. Yeah. I just, I was like, I enjoy being here. I want to stay here. I've done it all. I'm done. I don't want to do that. This is what I want to do. And I would have, I literally would have stayed there working part-time because I had other stuff going on Mm -hmm. for the rest of my life. I was happy doing it. Mm -hmm. And we learned a thing in shift, in the shift training. I work closing nights at most of the stores I work for. And I actually would be given the trainees after they got training, they would come and have to spend a night shift with me mm-hmm. on my night shift. We taught them how to play a game and do their work. And the purpose of the game was not to play a game, but to learn the concept that when you are, and you can always look at this next time you go to Starbucks, you'll find the good baristas who can do this. They will be making a drink with their hands and they can look up and talk to you and look down a second, look up and talk to you. And they can hold a conversation with you across that bar Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because it's not about the drink being right. This will sell far more than the hand figures. So you learn, I I taught people learn to train your hands to do the job, Mm -hmm. but your mind has to be going, look, talk, Mm -hmm. talk, Mm -hmm. talk, talk, look, talk, 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 listen, listen, listen. And then, Uh, I had a customer, one of my stores, who every year he went on vacation, would bring me back. I had these Starbucks city mugs, would bring Mm -hmm. me back a city mug from places he traveled. Mm -hmm. And I I did this thing at my stores that on my, I worked five years for him. On my anniversary of every year, I would take a venti Starbucks cup and have all my customers sign the cup. Oh, wow. And I kept them for so long and I had them. Uh, at my store, my last store, or one of my stores, I had him, and I and I had it there in my locker. And another guy found it. And goes, what the heck is this? And he threw it out. And oh. I had all five years. Oh. And I'm like, I spent five years doing that project. Exactly. And he had no idea. He's like, wow, this is trash. Throw this out. Oh. And I'm like, dude, you just threw away a five year project of mine. Thank you. You know, and yeah. But I mean, I learned customer service at Starbucks and I said it, it was, it was unique. Um, I would have stayed there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a huge turning point in my life. The, the, the unique thing about my time at Starbucks is working in a McKinney store, mm-hmm. McKinney, Texas, and not planning on leaving, not planning on doing anything. And two guys come up to the counter one day and said, okay, Tim Gillette, we'd like to talk to you. And I'd seen these guys go through drive-thru all the time. I had no clue. Who they were. I was like, Sure. I thought like somebody did something wrong and I was, you know, manager on doing this. I I said, right now I says, can I finish this? And and, and he says, well, you, when you get on your break, come talk to us. We're going to be sitting over here in the corner waiting for you. Oh my gosh. 
And at first, you know, I mean, it's like, okay, are these guys are the government. Are they here to take me away? Yeah. Right. Um, they sat down and they said, you're Tim Gillette. And they listed my companies off in Pennsylvania, Texas. They listed companies off and stuff. They actually listed and told me the patent that I created in Pennsylvania. And I'm like, okay, who are these guys and what do you want? And they said, we run an IT company. And we've been trying to find someone who will come run this thing who doesn't want to be a celebrity. They just want to come and run it for the company to build, make the company a company. Oh and I'm like, I know nothing about computers or IT. I'm your wrong. I'm the wrong guy. Mm-hmm. They said, yeah, but you know how to run a company. You built such and such a company. You helped this one do this. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't know anything about IT. And I've already learned in my life, I suck at selling something I don't know. And they said, still, we want you to come. I, I would work for them for... Go ahead. How did, how, now, but who were they? Meaning that... <laughs> they they, and, they just... And how did they know you? How did they find you so to speak because of coming into the store every day and like you know i was always talking to them and always asking them questions always informative and uh you know, one of them said something about you know, i think something about rich dad poor dad or something one day okay. i said I, I i got that book i love i read all his books really great you know interesting so this why and one why are you working here it's mm-hmm. just a part-time job man i just i just decided to cut back and not do much anymore mm-hmm. sold my businesses and i'm gone it's you sold your businesses. You know what I mean? So that's when they went and investigated I, me. I see. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there was a lead to it, to, to them figuring mm-hmm. it out, but I never dropped, like, I never dropped the sales pitch of this is who I was or anything like that. I just mm-hmm. always, it was in conversation and people would ask about my past and I would, I, I never hit anything. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. uh, and that's where they came out. So I would work for them for six months, Megan, and then give the job to someone else. The gentleman I gave the job to, I'm still friends with to this day. Starbucks, who you, the guys that you just were sharing about, you worked for them for six months to get that business going. Then you passed it on to someone else. Okay. Um, I actually, I I actually, what I did was, is uh, I'm a, like, I want to experiment. For me, I do things for the experiments, experience Mm -hmm. in my life. And I said, I will work for you. I was in my forties or I just turned 40. I said, I'll tell you what. For six months, I will be a salesperson because I've got to learn how to sell this product if I'm going to ever be a manager of this company. Mm-hmm. After the six months, all right, however much money I bring in. So in other words, if I raise the company income $20,000 a month, I can ask you for up to $20,000 a month in salary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they said, deal. We signed a contract on it and everything. And I took to selling. You know, I wasn't great at sales. But what I did do was I actually found contacts that helped me build my real estate business. And number two, I ran into this guy, Kevin, and he had just sold his IT company. And I'm like, oh, interesting. This is, uh, you interested in running another IT company? He says, well, I don't, he says, I don't know. I just sold my company. I don't know what I'm going to do now. So I brought him back in to meet, you know, my, my bosses were Christian and David were their names. And I said, Christian, David, I want you to meet. <laughs> and they go, yeah, we know. We know all about him. Like, well, he just sold his company. He's looking for a job. I want you to hire him to run the company and not me. <laughs> huh? <laughs> and they did. They took they, they they took me on that. And I I I literally I stepped away, took my commissions, and walked away. Um, and that one here's one of the things they did as a bonus for me. And this goes to show you guys sometimes you guys gotta give without expecting a return to find out what you're going to get in the future. That's right. And I gave to that company while <clears throat> I didn't have some great health benefits plan. I didn't make millions of dollars. That company actually also owned a, a series of doctor uh, doctor places. 
-hmm. for five years, I would walk into that doctor's office that they owned for my health checkups. Mm -hmm. And every month I got, I'd pull my credit card out to pay the bill, you know, cause I didn't have health insurance. Mm -hmm. They said, Oh no, your money's no good here. Mm -hmm. Your money's no good here for five years. I, they wouldn't take money from me. Yeah. That's worth it's priceless. Yeah. yeah. You try thinking about that five years ago into the doctor's office mm -hmm. of not having to pay yes. and being them refusing your money. Mm-hmm. That yeah. and even my daughter, when my daughter came to town, they did the same thing for my daughter. That's what's called payback, guys. When mm -hmm. you just you you do things out there because it's right, then right people will find you and they'll take care of you. It's just a fact. And the, so. you know the other thing probably, and I don't know this, but that you help them so much, and not only what you you personally did, but introducing and connecting them with Kevin, yeah. that they just said we can't just let Tim walk away. We need to uh, uh, honor this relationship. So wow, that's but yeah. that says a lot about them too. That's wonderful. They were, and I mean, I I, I haven't talked to them probably six years now. It's been mm -hmm. since I talked to them last, and I mean, they were two. They were two great guys. They're not even in partnerships anymore. The, the business is, is, has split off and sold mm -hmm. off into pieces because mm -hmm. they own so many businesses, and they basically mm -hmm. sold it off into several different parts uh, with the three partners. And and you know what I mean. But the, you know, uh, I'm still friends with them on Facebook, and I'm mm -hmm. sure if I reached out and said, "Hey, Christian, I could use it," you know, I'm sure they'd take a phone call from me. But yeah. So now when did, uh, so A, um, back to Zig. Yeah. Um, so like you said, you didn't do anything with that for six years. No. And so this, with these gentlemen, that was the, in the six year piece along with Starbucks. So um, how did, so then what, how and when did your next, um, and which you bringing to today, so to speak, yeah. begin? So from there, it was... <laughs> Uh, that was about 2008. It was the end of 2008 that I went to work for them into 2009. Mm -hmm. um, and it was February of 2009 that I met my current wife. And I'm working for them. And when I leave, uh, it was connections I made through them. And and my wife and I just going, you know, my girlfriend at the time just going, you know, we're going to start a real estate company. We've got to do something to, to, to build something for us in the future. Mm -hmm. And there was connections through there that I did it. But my daughter went to work for them and then ended up taking one of this, like they had, um, they had those like little minute clinics inside of grocery stores. Mm -hmm. And my daughter ran one of them for, for those gentlemen. Mm -hmm. And I went in to see my daughter at one of the stores and who walks by, but Zig Ziglar. Mm -hmm. So I take to introduce my daughter to Zig Ziglar. All right. And talk to him and, and have a conversation. And by then Zig's health was failing 2009. Mm -hmm. And it was a conversation then with Zeg. And, then, and then again, when I went to work for Starbucks, I looked like this. And when I left Starbucks, I looked like the hippie Tom Petty that I was for ages. Mm -hmm. And I walked up to Zig with long hair. And, and I said, you know, I looked at his ailing health. And I said, you know, Zig, mm -hmm. I'm going to go do that speaking thing that you told me to do. Because apparently you knew what you know. I'm going to go get a haircut. I'm going to go buy a suit and a tie. And I'm going to go do this thing. I'm going to give it my all because you said so. Mm. And he looked at me in that grocery store and he said, Tim, nah, don't you buy a suit? Don't you buy a tie? It's not you. This, and he swirled his fingers, this hippie thing. <laughs> you've got to find a way to work with this. Mm -hmm. That's to me is like Zig's dying advice to me. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. And I'm like, okay, I got to figure this out. You know, Zig at the time, he's not looking to work with people at that time. So I was like, okay, I got to figure this out. And it was 2009 
And uh, after my after we were, my my girlfriend and I were together one year, I says, you know, I got to tell you this. You know, Zig Ziglar told me to do this years ago, and I kept putting it off. And she looked at me, and as I said, she said, you know, first of all, by then we were living together in her house. She says, listen, she says, our house is paid for. Quit your job at Starbucks and give it your all. Mm-hmm. Put your put your heart and soul into it if you think you're going to do it. Don't don't do it half assed. Mm-hmm. We can afford to live on my salary while you go build it. Mm. Okay. Quit my job at Starbucks. And I said, okay, I'm going to go do this. You know, and like, you know, I went through nine years of a journey, you know, in 2018, mm-hmm. eight years, 2018, we finally got down to, to, to the system we have now and we got working like clockwork. But the beginning of it, like, okay, I'm going to go do this. And I had the general knowledge of the person out there today who's watching your show going, well, I want to do fill in the blank. And they're going, I know nothing about whatever fill in the blank is. Exactly. That's where I was in 2010 about the speaking industry, mm-hmm. the coaching industry. I didn't know, mm-hmm. but I quit my job, educated myself and said, I'm going to find, I'm going to, I'm going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to figure it out in a way that I'm not going back to a job mm-hmm. ever again. If it means I have to be homeless again, mm-hmm. I will do it. What is your wife? What is your wife's name? Gwen. Gwen. So between Zig and Gwen, you had two foundational people saying you paid your dues. You know what you're doing. Truly, you do. You just needed that, that, like you said, the the program, the structure and go do it. Yeah. Wow. So it was it was March 2010. I started it. Mm -hmm. Now, I had been planning for years and in and um June or July and August of 2010, I took a, a 30 day, 9,000 mile road trip on my motorcycle that I'd been planning on for years. Mm -hmm. But other than that, I was trying to find things to build my business. Mm -hmm. All right. And, uh, was it? Yeah, it was July of 2010 that I did that June of 2010. Before I went on that trip, I was up at a, I mean, I was part of a motorcycle ministry in, 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 uh, you know, out of Arkansas, Mm-hmm. And I was up in Arkansas with a friend of mine who was their IT consultant of all things, uh, their IT guy, and uh, who was a friend of mine from Dallas, moved up there. And him and I said on a Sunday morning after a conference, said, hey, let's go for a motorcycle ride. We got on our bikes in Arkansas and we took off and we just crossed the Oklahoma line on this small t- corner. And I went around the corner leading. He came around the corner behind me and flipped his bike and died. His wife on the back lived, but he died. Oh, my gosh, and at that very moment in time, we couldn't get phone service to call out anything because I mean, we're, in, we're in the middle of the mountains, right? Mm-hmm. At that t- point in time, this is a transitional part in my life, was the moment, very moment, exact moment in time. My wife was down at home, girlfriend at the time, but mm-hmm. at home watching her mother pass away. Oh at that God. very moment in time, mm-hmm. when I finally got service to be able to call my wife to tell her what happened and let her know I'm okay. Mm-hmm. It was Elton in the crash, not me. See her when you know what I mean? Um, and she said, Oh, she thought I was calling because her mother died. Oh. Mm-hmm. The transition was, is as I was, it took an hour and a half for an ambulance to get there to carry my, my, his wife to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Cause that's how far out we were. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Riding back in the ambulance and like the, the people from, from CMA got a hold of me and said, give your keys to the local op, to the officer standing there. We will pick up your bike. And we will have it back at camp for you. 
-hmm. You are not riding your bike right now. Get in the ambulance. We'll meet you at the hospital. Mm -hmm. And my good friend, Carrie, uh, who was a main chaplain and main, main evangelist for this ministry for years. He's a great friend of mine from Mississippi. And uh, he was at the hospital. He was one of the first faces I, I seen when I, I, I literally, they dropped me off at the emergency room. They hand me her purse and stuff says, go out front and register. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, uh, I barely know this lady. I knew her husband. I, knew, I, I barely know her. And you're telling me to go sign her in. And I walk out and walk behind the curtain. Uh, and I'm greeted by over 80 people from that ministry standing there in the waiting room waiting for me. And my friend Carrie sees me. The girl from the head office, the ministry, grabs the stuff from my hand. I'll take care of this. Carrie will take you. And Carrie just grabs me and takes me to a corner. Mm-hmm. And he says to me, when Elton got up this morning, he had faith. And if he didn't take that motorcycle ride with you and he decided to sit on the couch, he would have died of a heart attack. It was his time. No matter what's going through your mind, it's not your fault. You control your destiny, not someone else. And it's between you and God. And he said, Elton's at peace because he got up and did what he wanted to do. And everybody who gets on one of those bikes, and I've got a million miles on two wheels. When you get on that bike, you know the risks, Mm -hmm. but you do it anyway. And so many of us won't take the risk to be in business because we're trying to play it safe. Well, which would you rather have? Dying on an adventure or dying laying on the couch? That was the greatest turning point in my life. And I went, you know what? I'm going to build my business. And one of the things was when 2004, when Zig told me that the first time, Mm -hmm. I told my dad, Megan, that I was going to be a speaker. I was going to be an author. I was going to write a book. And my dad said, you can do that, Tim. My dad was one of my biggest encouragers in life, even though my dad would never, ever be an entrepreneur himself. He, right. he just he didn't have the, the brains to do it. Mm-hmm. My father always encouraged me to do things. That's great. And I promised my dad I would write a book. I promised Zig I would write a book. My dad died New Year's Eve, 2010. I never broke it. Sig died November 2012. My book still wasn't finished. And I promised both of them I would write a book. So I had to learn to keep my commitments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So have you done it yet? Right there was my first one. Oh, you, you're a little off camera here. I'm 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 looking. I see I'm not looking at you. I'm yeah. sorry. Okay. I'll this was my first here. book. It was okay. done. In, it was done in May of 2012. And it 12. really, it's not even related to my business now, but at the time I got to have a book done. I literally wrote this thing in three weeks to get it done. So, so this, so give the timeline again. Your dad died in a new Christmas time of yeah, New Year's Eve, 2010. New Year's Eve. And then Zig passed in November of 2012. November. Mm-hmm. So in, 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 in March and in, in September 2012, I met my current mentor. My mentor now, I, and literally I was on a call with him this morning, all right? Um, friend, mentor, all right? Uh, I'm going to be part of his event in October when he does it here in Dallas. Again, his first one in Dallas. 
what uh, is last name? year through what the whole pandemic. Huh? What is his name, Tim? Craig Duswalt. Okay. So last year during the whole pandemic, he decided to, to, that it was time to move his family out of California and move to Texas. Called me up and said, listen, I got an extra car that has to be driven to Texas. Can you come out to California and drive my car here in the middle of the pandemic? For you, Craig, yes. I went out and flew out there and got in his car and drove it all the way to Texas for her. Mm-hmm. So Sure. Uh, but he's been my mentor and he's the one who got me to write the book. He got me to create our blog and video con. He got me to do live events. He got me to create a, an, an email list. He got me on stages. Because of him, I've been on, you know, um, actor Dean Kane's podcast. Because of him, I'm great friends with, you know, actor Glenn Morshower. Mm-hmm. Because of him, I got to meet the great Eddie Money. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, because of him, I have a trademark. All right. He's a friend. And uh, the first event that I've been to in this whole pandemic thing was to see his youngest son perform in a, uh, a school musical. Because uh, that's, you know what I mean? Because I've become so intertwined with this gentleman who changed my life. Zig was the great foundation. Right. But yes. Zig probably couldn't have coached me to be me in the way I had to be. Yes. The reason I picked Craig Duswalt when I did, and this is guys, when you got to pick your mentor, I realize some of you are going to go out there, oh, I don't need this guy Tim for a mentor. And I may not be. Mm-hmm. but you got to find somebody that's going to help you be the person you are meant to be. Right. Craig Duswalt worked for several years for some crazy weird band called Guns N' Roses. Okay. He was Axl Rose's manager. Axl Rose, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And he uh, studied marketing in school and he knew how to help people market, be themselves because he learned how to market a band called Guns N' Roses. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's why I went with Craig. And for years we did the, we did the, I looked like Tom Petty. I had the not Tom Petty thing, not Tom Petty.com. I still own a domain name. If you okay. want to see what I used to look like, go there and watch the video. Well, you've uh, just cut your hair recently. I cut very my recently. hair a year ago, May yeah, a year very, ago. Very recent. Yeah. 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 So it's been when one I, year since I cut it off. When I first met you. Well, yeah. you know, you're right about, uh, I mean, my saying you're right, meaning I can see, as I said, Gwen and Zig, these pillars, these foundation, but then you needed that other person in the trenches. Yeah. Um, that, uh, but Zig gave you the endorsement of be yourself. Yeah. If Zig was alive, Zig probably would have been the first people, first person uh, to write a, uh, a testimonial on the back of my book. I'm sure that's he true. He would have been, you know what I mean? But I, oh, I took yeah. that, you know, I, mean? I, I waited too long and I didn't do things. Some people, like I said, wait too long. Again, remember the girl in the Ferrari. Don't wait. And Put Richie's wife, off. Richie's wife. Yes. Yeah. Don't do. Yes. Live today. One of the quotes that I often say in reference to Zig is because uh, he was, I never met him. I wish I had, but I mean, his material, I've just absorbed, absorbed, absorbed over the years. But if there's hope in tomorrow, there's power in today. And uh, one of my foundational things is hope, you know, hope and possibilities, um, because there's infinite possibilities that you have to have, you know, that hope in tomorrow. Mm-hmm. To have you know, I, you know, I've talked about today. hope too over the years, Megan. It's just, hope is such a powerful word. It is. I mean, you think back to, and again, uh, just because I mentioned this person does not mean I endorse them. I have to say this nowadays in our political world. Barack Obama ran on hope and change. That word hope, I mean, think about what that did for his ad campaign Mm -hmm, mm or becoming president of the United States. Mm -hmm. Hope is such a powerful word. That's right. Guys. Yes. And the the opposite of it, when you lose hope, and that is truly, Tim, I can't thank you enough. Uh, I know that you share this in your talk, your speaking, but um, as I said, I, I had no... 
uh, understanding or anticipation. I, that's why I come into these interviews as a blank slate to uh, just be here and converse with you, but to guide the individual. Um, because what you shared today, uh, I had a, I could have gotten very emotional yeah. uh, at several times, but uh, you know, I, that's not what I'm here to do. But that's very, very powerful, your story. And what you're doing for people is giving them truly hope and understanding that they can uh, pivot or change or evolve at any time in their life. You know, one of the things that I found interesting last year when I started uh, being asked to be on podcast, including yours, is that because I'm older than the average bear doing a lot of this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And but... I have so much to share and it's, I will not stop. My, my heart is to help others like you. I know you feel this way is to help others not get in their own way and keep going. And everything that you have experienced, you are using today. Yeah. Powerful. What is it? Because I'm looking in the camera, not at the computer. What is the uh, title of your book? Uh, the title of my first one was You Can Always Get What You Want. So my second one was called Taking Care of Business. My third one was Not Going to Take It. It was all rock and roll. Terms. I was just going to say all rock and roll. Yeah, all rock and roll. Not going to take it anymore. I have a book outlined uh, because I don't do really life coaching. Mm-hmm. I'm more of a business mentor in online marketing. Uh, but I have a perfect uh, you know, one that I may put it out underneath my one brand uh, w- thing I own uh, for it's called bartender life coach, but uh, I may put it out underneath that, but mm-hmm. it's called uh, you don't need a life coach how to fix your own damn life in 90 days. You know what I mean? It's like, I have this whole thing outlined, like, you know, you can like do it that. yourself, dude. Yeah. Um, I like I'm that, not a yeah. sarcastic writer, but I have that sarcastic side. It's yeah. I would love to do the funny. And I just, I'm having a hard time coming doing yeah. that. Like tongue in cheek, you know, yeah. it's a double entendre. Yeah, that. But I like that a lot. Yeah. Wow. So wow, I mean, wow. My old stuff is is simple, easy marketing now, and I went through seven transitions of of brand before we come up with simple, easy marketing, and we've trademarked it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've learned the power of trademark with a name like Gillette. You learn it the hard way. Uh, <laughs> so, right. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, we built a system with 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 a with a podcast to help people. The same way you do, Megan. And I tell every one of my guests, I I don't know the questions I'm going to ask you today. This is as we're in the green room. I don't know the questions I'm going to ask you today. Mm-hmm. We're going to find out as we go. The only prep I do is look at their website, get an idea who they are, and I write nine um, this or that questions mm-hmm. about what I want to ask them at the end is a fun way to end my podcast. So. Yes. So with that said, unfortunately, I could go on. I know. A long yeah. time with you, my friend. Yeah. And we'll do this again, you know, uh, after you get that next book published. And um, but we'll talk offline, too, because uh, I have so many thoughts and questions for you. But with that said, like you, you're this is and you're that's yeah. um, that I end my unique leaders live with a question that really is based on Sharon Lecter and Greg Reed's book, Three Feet from Gold. You mentioned yeah. Napoleon yeah. Hill. <laughs> Think and Grow Rich earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and so again, Zig and Napoleon, those were my two, and Tony Robbins. They were, yeah. and Jim Rohn a little bit, you know? Yeah. And um, so with that said, Sharon Lecter has what, and, and this is a principle that she works from, as well, not just in this book, but it's her success formula. Mm-hmm. And it is p- your passion plus talent 
Times Association, you mentioned a lot of those today, mm -hmm. association plus uh, action, a, a times action rather, plus faith equal success. Now, yeah. I'm not going to ask you all of them, but Tim Gillette, what is your passion and what is your talent? My passion is uh, is doing podcasts, uh, creating content online, um, and I've now put it together with a mission. My mission is to create 10,000 content creators. That's podcasters, live streamers, bloggers. Help them get an audience of 10,000 people and then show them with that 10,000 and 10,000 how to make $10,000 a month with it. Mm-hmm. That's my passion. That's what drives me. Okay. It's the only reason I come on this podcast or any podcast. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> to to uh, multiply. Again, mm -hmm. it's that yeah. uh, about the talents, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. yes, wow. Okay. And then what is what is your, and your talent, I guess, is then the, I shouldn't say what your talent is. You yeah. know, that's your passion. What would you say your talent is? I, I, I'm the guy that you want in a, in a room, guys, to truthful. I'm the guy you want in a room if you need to come up with an idea. That's my talent. Uh, we've created some unique brands over the years. Uh, you know, a weight loss, a lady who wanted to do weight loss is the weight loss engineer because she owns the patent to your 4G phone. And, um, you know, uh, the the coolest one I ever came up with for ideas. And literally, uh, my, my mentor loves me in his mastermind. And I love doing this is just sitting there and chewing on what you do, what you've done, how to create into a brand and make it unique and marketable. Wow. And a lady sat one time, Megan, at a, one of our events, and she's like, I want to create a new book and a new series and go out to become a, a, an expert. And she was just retiring from her longtime job of a 911 operator. And I said, well, you want to do something communication? She says, yeah, that'll do communications. And I said, you know, all your years, would you say that there's more than one way to communicate with people? Yeah, there is. I said, do you think you're really good at communicating with people one-on-one? -on -one? She says, yeah. I says, then you need to call your package, program, and everything, 911 communications. Nine ways to communicate with people one-on-one. -on -one. My coach, the marketing guy behind Guns and Roses, his jaw dropped to the floor. I'm like, I mean, yes. Hello. Like, Hello. That's just, I, and my, my coach knows now, if we're doing a mastermind and I get up and start pacing the back of the room, he smiles. He says, something's coming. I was going to say, something's that's my talent. That's wonderful. Oh, wow. What a great conversation, Tim. Thank you so much. You really. Thank you. I'm honored to be really. With you. Thank you. Um, I, I will be part of your 10,000 meaning spreading the word because I'm, I am a connector. That is one of my uh, gifts from God and one of my things in my heart. So trust me, I will be sharing this, not just in the conventional way, but uh, other ways as well, as we both know. Cool. So thank you again so much uh, for joining me today. It's truly been a blessing. And I know you, your story, and you personally, because your energy and your essence will ble uh, truly bless so many. So again, thank you for joining me today. So if you would just uh, hang out in the green room for a minute, I'll be back in a, as I say goodbye to our guests. You bet. Thank you. Bye, guys. Wow, wow, wow. What a blessing. So folks, please share this out because I know that there are millions of people that need to hear. Now he's talking about his 10,000. Um, that need to hear Tim Gillette's story.
understanding that life is a journey. It is not this one and done. It is a journey, a somewhat of a relay race, because as he shared, you know, from baton to baton to baton, but it is a journey. And that is what the unique leader stories are of my guests, is their journeys. And in those journeys, you will glean something. He was talking about the 911 operator there, the gal that was the operator for years. And then she went on to start her own business of helping people identify and communicate. So there are so many rich points in this that you will just marinate on and take for yourself. But Tim is available uh, his book, books, I should say, and other um, things that he's doing. So you can go to his uh, website and his social media platforms. Those are all in uh, our, uh, you know, text of our posts. So you'll be able to reach Tim any way that you can. So please do share this out on all social media platforms. Go to YouTube. It, it will be there as well as podcasting on all of our, uh, our, on all podcasting platforms. So do share that when you're working at the gym, you can listen to Tim and his story and it will just pop in some idea, but also contact Tim as well. So thank you so much for joining me. I'll see you Wednesday on Megan DiMartino Live and then next Friday for another Unique Leaders Live. Thank you so much. Oh, and by the way, go to my website, megandimartino.com and my book, Hope and Possibilities Just Over the Horizon. It's never too early or too late to create the life of your dreams. And I was honored this week. I have to share it with you guys Monday. I was listening to Glenn Lundy um, on Rise and Grind at 4.30, because I'm in Central Time in Texas, and he goes, and our quote for today uh, in the Rise and Grind planner is from Megan DiMartino, it's never too early or too late to create the life of your dreams. And that is exactly what Tim exemplified. That is the bottom line of life. It is a journey. Start and don't stop. We'll see you soon and be blessed. Thank you for listening to the Unique Leaders Podcast. If we said something today that resonated with you, please connect with me at megandimartino.com. I have a free gift for you, my book, Hope and Possibilities Just Over the Horizon. It's never too early or too late to create the life of your dreams. And don't forget to head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. I would truly appreciate it. Be blessed.